This is the Come Read With Me podcast. Welcome to Come Read With Me, the Book of Mormon, episode number 19. Welcome back to Come Read With Me, the Book of Mormon. Today, we are excited to keep reading 1 Nephi at chapter 21. I'm going to give the recap this week, and Dave's going to read the chapter, and we're going to kind of help people try and understand a little bit more of what's going on in 1 Nephi yet again in Isaiah chapter. Here we go. This is going to be exciting. Quick recap of where we are. Lehi and his family, they have sojourned in the wilderness after leaving Jerusalem. Uh, eight years in the wilderness, getting to the land of Bountiful. Not sure how long they were in the land of Bountiful, but Nephi was there building a ship. After they built the ship, they went and traversed the ocean being led by the Liahona, the ball of curious workmanship that was provided to them miraculously. Now they have reached the promised land. Upon reaching the promised land, Nephi is taking the opportunity in several chapters here to reflect on several important things, including a couple of very important chapters in Isaiah that he wants to make sure are re-emphasized and reiterated uh, here in the plates, the small plates of Nephi that he is um, adding these to. So we are reading chapter 21. Chapter 20 was a Isaiah chapter where the Lord was talking to his covenant people in Israel. He was talking to specifically those who are who have taken upon the covenants of following the Lord, but haven't lived up to them. And yet he says that he's going to stay his anger and he's going to help them find their way back so that they can find righteousness because there is in fact no peace unto the wicked. So here we go. We're going to get started in chapter 21. Dave, take us away. Absolutely, Eric. I do want to just add one more thing before we start reading. As you mentioned, chapter 20 is Isaiah, uh, where Nephi is quoting Isaiah, chapter 48. Chapter 21 that we're going to read right now is, you can compare Isaiah 49. What's great is we are so close to finishing the first book of Nephi. Our next episode, we're going to be reading chapter 22, which is the last chapter in first Nephi. And that is a great opportunity because Nephi is explaining to his brothers what he was just quoting in Isaiah. So yes. if if you're if you're kind of wondering or or following along thinking how does this relate to it? Listen to our next ep- episode and you'll be able to hear some of the answers that Nephi gives to his brothers. Yeah, absolutely great advice. And if you haven't yet listened to chapter 20, do go back and probably listen to that first before continuing here in 21 and then on to 22 next time. Okay, here we go jumping in. First Nephi chapter 21 verse 1. And again, hearken, O ye house of Israel, all ye that are broken off and are driven out because of the wickedness of the pastors of my people. Yea, all ye that are broken off, that are scattered abroad, who are of my people, O house of Israel. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. All right. One thing I I like there is Isaiah uses a lot of figurative language. And one thing that we'll notice in this chapter, in our previous episode, and other chapters of Isaiah is one thing that happened back then was they didn't have exclamation points or bold font. And so what they would do to emphasize something is they would repeat it. 
Yes. Sometimes with the same words, sometimes with different words, but they would repeat the same concept over and over and over again. So as we read some more verses here, just look for some of the things that are being repeated by the prophet Isaiah. What we're going to be reading here in verses 4 through 12 we'll notice that Isaiah portrays kind of a loneliness of Israel waiting for the restoration. So he's going to be repeating this in multiple verses and concepts, but that's kind of a message that's coming forth here in the the following verses. I love that. Another thing that I want to point out here is Isaiah is usually talking to kind of the whole of Israel, right? Kind of the the people and talking to them, uh, you know, collectively about their faults and, you know, misgivings and the different things that he's trying to portray to the whole of the people. Um, so keep that in mind. You know, when he's talking about the wickedness of the pastors of my people, he's talking about, you know, the, the pastors of all of Israel that essentially are no longer teaching truth and have been led astray in several different ways. You know, if you know the history of the Old Testament and of the Jewish people and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, you know, the scribes and all of these different people who have sort of taken the word of God and sort of molded them to fit different, you know, ideological or political purposes. Um, It's easy to understand what Isaiah would be referring to here. Awesome. Let's jump back in in verse four. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb that I should be his servant to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nations abhorreth, to servants of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, O isles of the sea, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee my servant for a covenant of the people, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages." that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth to them that sit in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in thy ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. And then, O house of Israel, behold, These shall come from afar, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, for the feet of those who are in the east shall be established, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for they shall be smitten no more, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But behold, Zion hath said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me but he will show that he hath not. For can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee, O house of Israel. I kind of like that last verse we just read. Yeah. Humans, we forget. And he uses a pretty strong example there of, of, of can a mother forget her child? Yeah. 
But in today's world, certainly a mother wouldn't forget a, a, a small child, but we do forget. We get comfortable with our situations, with the people around us, and sometimes we do forget. But I love what it says that no matter what, the Lord will not forget us, O house of Israel. He will not forget thee. I like that language as well because it, it illustrates the nature of the relationship and how the Lord views that relationship and the importance of that to him, right? Being the mother of a child, this is not something he takes lightly or, or something that was otherwise disposable. This covenant relationship with his covenant people is something that is, you know, very, very important to him. Um, so I, I like to hear that. You know, going up to that, it's interesting to kind of try and parse out some of Isaiah's language. I don't know that I'm very good at it. I think at the beginning of what you just read, he was kind of talking about um, himself and almost, you know, he was formed from the womb to be his servant, right? So Isaiah is being formed from the womb to try and preach the word and try and um, to bring Jacob again to him, uh, you know, essentially is what he's saying there. But but then he says, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Essentially saying he knows he's not going to succeed right? But but he's doing this for the glory of God and to be glorious in the presence of God. Um, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, he says. Um, so I, I like the, the tone of that. And then it sort of transitions into talking directly to the house of Israel, where he's talking about, you know, when the isles of the sea, he says that a number of times, talks about the isles of the sea and what that means, the scattering of Israel. And I think isles of the sea is illustrative to people who have been scattered so far beyond and so far abroad that they're completely disconnected from the house of Israel in every way. They're, they're scattered across the globe and scattered across the sea in every which way. And then talking is about, you know, sing, O heavens, and be joyous, O earth, for the feet of those who are in the east shall be established. And I think he's talking about the reunification of the house of Israel. He talks about those in the east, those in the west, those in the north, and them coming together. I think that that's talking about sort of the gathering, the final gathering of Israel in the final days. So I think that's what we're reading here. Um, again, a lot of poetic phrases in there that I'm not sure I understand, but Dave, any clarity that you could lend there? <laughs> you did a fine job there. <laughs> and I agree that I may not have a definitive answer on what this all is interpreted to be, but I will say you're spot on that this is talking about the scattering of Israel as well as the gathering or the restoration. Absolutely. Okay. All right, jumping back in in verse 16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. I apologize. I realize that's a very <laughs> short verse, but I love it. I was um, There's another commentary that talks about, you can kind of tell the, the fruits of one's labor by their hands. You think of a carpenter, you might see some calluses on there, some blisters, something like that. It, it's a very visual representation of what that person does. And and here, this certainly is in reference to the Savior Jesus Christ and him being crucified, but he really has graven us upon the palms of his hands. And that shows, that shows his work, that shows his craft is us, is bringing us to return to him. But I, I just thought that was a very illustrative way of, of showing that. Absolutely. I've often wondered about this. Um, when I was reading the Book of Mormon for the first time, a, a verse like this kind of made me pause for a second, kind of think about, well, this was being written 600 years before Christ came, and yet yeah. he's talking almost in the past tense of how I've already carved you into the palms of my hands, referencing, you know, of course, the, the crucifixion. Uh, and what I think is important here is that Nephi, at this point, we all know, has already been shown a vision of the crucifixion. Um, so this is not a mystery to the Lord that this is what he's going through. In fact, I often wonder how our Heavenly Father experiences time 
at all. It might be quite a bit different than we do, you know, in, in, you know, immortal, exalted, eternal being and how they experience time. I bet it's a bit different than we do in our sort of finite ways here on earth. And that knowing the beginning from the end as they do, um, it, it may to them be present and past all at once. And so I think that even though this is referring to it in the past tense, it's many hundreds of years before it'll actually happen here on the earth, here in what we would experience in our time. And I think that also speaks to the point of the eternal nature of God. Yes. We've mentioned this before, but he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for his children for us, Certainly that was the crucifixion upon the cross. It was the suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he did so, that is an eternal atonement that reaches for people previous to us, for those now living, and those that will come in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Okay, jumping back in in verse 17. Thy children shall make haste against thy destroyers, and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together, and they shall come to thee. And as I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on even as a bride. For thy waste and thy desolate places, and the land of thy destruction, shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants, and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children whom thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the first, shall again in thine ears say, Thy place is too straight for me, Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten these, seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where have they been? Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to thy people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Some awesome stuff in there, and a couple of things I want to point out is, I love in verse 20, how he's talking about the children whom thou shalt have. For thou hast lost the first, shall again in thine ears say... The place is too straight for me. Give me place that I may dwell. Um, I like I like the sound of that because that sounds like something I've felt in my heart before. You know, praying to the Lord and saying something like, you know, this is too hard for me. You know, may, maybe good enough is good enough. And, and going to the Lord and almost sort of offering my condolences that, you know, I, I tried, but your place is too straight for me. It's too hard. I can't do it. He goes on to say that there's a plan for redemption within all of this, right? And he's talking about how the Gentiles bringing the standard back and again, the restoration of the gospel and everything that's happened since then and and bringing the truth back to people and and the atonement and everything else that even when we feel like, hey, it's, it's too hard for me, the Lord already has plans in place, the restoration already in place, the atonement already in place, repentance already in place. Like the Lord has already thought through our limits and already thought through how he can help us overcome those limits. And I like that. That goes back to what we were just talking about, the eternal nature of God. When we feel like all is lost, God has accounted for that in in, in his plan. Uh, That's awesome. Absolutely. Okay, jumping back in in verse 24. For shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captives delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, 
and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh. They shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. All right, I I love that last verse, but I think it needs a little unpacking because it certainly has some graphic illustrative language in there, you know, taking the the enemies of Israel and they shall be drunken on their own blood and feasting on their own flesh and all these other things. To me, when I read that, what I read there is that the enemies of Israel will sort of be given the fruits of their own labor, which will lead to their own demise, right? This is not, you know, often punishment from the Lord does not come by the Lord creating bad things for you, right? God is good always. God does not create bad. God does not participate in evil ways and evil things and the bad outcomes that comes with it. God is always good. And when you turn to God, God will always grant goodness to you, right? And so what I think he's saying here is that when they're you know, feasting on their own flesh, what he's saying is they will create all of their own problems. Yeah. They will create their own downfall, their own demise. They'll be drunk on their own blood because as they're spiraling downwards and not turning to the Lord, the Lord is unable to bless them. You know, there's several scriptures that say essentially, you know, the blessings that we receive are based upon eternal principles. Blessings that we receive from God are, you know, on eternal laws that essentially say if you live up to the covenants that you create with your God and Savior, that then those those covenants can bless your life and blessings can be bestowed upon you. But when you don't, or even worse, when you actively fight against those things yeah. and actively participate in trying to not only break your own covenants, but help other people break their covenants, that then this is that feasting on your own flesh it's talking about. It's graphic language, but I think it's really illustrative to say like that's we're going to create our own demise yeah. if we don't go to God. Yeah, and, and that's great. An absence of God's blessing could be God's curse. And it, like you just said, it's not that, that something bad comes from God. It's that he's letting us suffer the consequences of our own choices. Right. As a human, you know, society is, yeah. And isn't that funny? I remember a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza was blaming God for something. And Jerry said, I thought you didn't believe in God. He said, well, I do for the bad stuff, but, the, <laughs> but, but this is important. With God, there is no bad stuff. Okay. And this is important to understand. Like when you are turning to God, you are turning to goodness. Like he is not there to punish you. If you feel in your life right now that there is an emptiness, that there is a hollowness, or that you feel that there are things that have gone wrong or not gone your way, that is not God creating those problems for you. That is God allowing those things to happen so that you can turn to him and feel of his goodness. Eric, I like the way that you described that, that God is goodness and that a lot of the stuff that happens is a result of the choices that we make. But what's interesting is the same circumstance can be viewed in two different ways. For example, what we read in verse two, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Now, a sharp sword to the wicked could be something terrifying because it cuts them to the to the core, you know, it, it cuts through them. But to the righteous, it could also be something that cuts through falsehoods or cuts through incorrect information. So it's the same circumstance viewed in different ways. Just kind of interesting. And again, that points to this gifted prophet Isaiah and the the words that he uses to try and convey this message. 
Absolutely. And and it goes back to something Nephi said to his brothers as, you know, he's repeatedly trying to teach his brothers upon, you know, uh, you know, each of their rebellions um, and saying unto them, like, yeah, the reason why you take my words hard is because you're not living up to it. Yeah. Right. Like wicked take the truth to be hard. Right. And that's the sharp sword that, that Isaiah is talking about and saying that God's given him a tongue as a sharp sword. Um, and we could all be blessed with such a thing. Like that would be amazing to, to be blessed that way. So even though this language comes across, I, I know, and I know this, when reading the Book of Mormon for the first time, one of the things that you will notice is that a, a large portion of the Book of Mormon is devoted to wars between people. And, you know, references like this to sharp swords and, you know, drinking your own blood and all these other things, it can come across as sort of startling, yeah. right? And when we get into Alma and some of the other chapters where, you know, there's there's war after war after war, you know, one of the things that I think is important to know is that the Book of Mormon was written for our time. One right. of the things that we know is that prophets that have prophesied of the Book of Mormon and preached about the Book of Mormon and taught us its purpose have told us repeatedly, this was written for our time. This is in preparation for what we are going to experience. There's a great talk by Jeffrey R. Holland where he talks about one of the principal things that's going to happen in the latter days is we're going to experience violence that will be similar to what has taken place in the Book of Mormon and things that are in the Book of Mormon are there to prepare us for that. Um, So even though it might be startling to read this, it's apropos to our time. Yeah, absolutely. And it and it if we can learn from what's happened in the past, all the better. If yes. we don't, we'll just have to learn it ourselves by going through it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing before we wrap up this episode, Eric, I want to just remind our listeners that as you have a hard copy of the Book of Mormon in front of you, there are some definite study helps or aids that, that can help you along. And one of those are the footnotes. I know I made mention to this in a previous episode, but when you're reading in the Book of Mormon and you come across a verse that has a small superscript letter, a letter right above the words, that usually refers you to the bottom of the page where there can be some additional clarification or additional scriptural references to the Bible, to the Book of Mormon, or others that will help the reader understand or gain a little bit better context. So again, I totally encourage our listeners to go and and study this on their own. And if you need a hard copy, please reach out and let us know. Absolutely. We'd love to help you get one. Okay. Then Dave, any final takeaways from the chapter? Well, I'm excited for our next episode where we kind of unpack this and let Nephi <laughs> d- explain to his brothers what uh, what he wanted them to get out of it. No, in all seriousness, it just goes back to, I love how things testify of Christ. And, and just like in today's world, if we can look for Christ in things, we will find him. If we look for Christ in the words of Isaiah, we will find him. It may not be the most apparent or the most obvious, but we can find him there. And And I do believe that the Lord has a covenant people the house of Israel, and he's talking about them consistently and constantly throughout the scriptures. Absolutely. My key takeaway from this is is really something that that Isaiah says, speaking messianically, again, sort of speaking as, as the Lord. When he says, the place is too straight for me, give place to me that I may dwell. This is, this is somebody coming to the Lord and saying, it's, it's too hard for me. Like, give me some place. Give, give, me, give me another option because this is too hard for me. And in a few verses down, it says, they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Yeah. And this is Isaiah speaking messianically as the savior and saying, you will not be ashamed if you wait for me. And though all of the hard things that come with that, it will feel too hard. It will be too much. It will be 
experiences in our time and in our lives will be so hard that we're not sure how to wait for the Lord. But those who do will not be ashamed. The Lord will fight our battles. The Lord will heal our wounds. The Lord will you know, suffer our sorrows with us. In fact, he already has through the atonement and he can help to remove and to heal those things. And he's there for us. So I'd just like to say that in an encouragement to everybody listening to this, turn to the Lord. God is good and he will bless you and he wants to bless you and you will not be ashamed as you wait on him and go to him. All right, then we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time as we continue reading the Book of Mormon together. Quick disclaimer here, this podcast is not produced by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Everything expressed in this podcast is the opinion of the people making it, and it is not endorsed by the church or its leaders. Everything in this podcast is intended to promote faith in Jesus Christ by helping you understand the Book of Mormon. Please listen to this podcast with an open heart and pray for guidance from the Lord as you continue reading the Book of Mormon. Thank you for listening.